Blog Talk Radio. Live from Washington, D.C., it's quintessential listening. Poetry Online Radio. QLPOR, as it's widely known, features a bevy of poets, spoken word artists, and live poetry readings with best-selling authors. Your host is Dr. Michael Anthony Ingram. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the program. Tonight, my special guest is poet and author Michael Mark. The title of his first chapbook is Visiting Her in Queens is More Enlightening Than a Month in a Monastery. (laughs) Michael, can you hear me? It's a tongue twister. <laughs> <laughs> Let me try to kiss everybody. <laughs> it's the world's longest time. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I thought I was doing it on a roll, too. <laughs> what kind of night is this going to be? All right. <laughs> I'm here with Michael Mark, and the title of his first chapbook is Visiting Her in Queens is More Enlightening Than a Month in a Monastery in Tibet. Did I get it right? Oh, you hit it right on the nose. All right. <laughs> All right. This particular chapbook won the prestigious Rattle Chapbook Prize. And, Michael, <laughs> after that auspicious start, are you ready to begin this journey? Let's go. All right, right, my friend. All right, all right, all right. (laughs) You know me well, Michael. What do I start with every week? What is poetry? What is poetry? Well, I'm going to respond this way, Michael. First of all, it's a pleasure to be on your show. I really enjoy your interviews and uh, how you squeeze (laughs) the essence out of everyone. And uh, feel free to press hard on me because because I really want to learn. This is a two-way street, okay? Right. All right. I understand. I understand. So, so I'm, I am no expert on prosody or poetry. But for me, poetry is an, a, a linguistic exploration of the broken, about being right. broken, which I see, I see as a human condition. And I think maybe all poems are about being broken. By broken, I mean literally like the line is a broke, we break the line. We, 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 we reshuffle the, the syntax from normal or conventional speech to reorder it. And that's a breaking. When we twist the word, we repeat it um, to get a new meaning out of it. Um, and, 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 and we want an answer. We always want an answer. I mean, who doesn't want uh, consistency? But that's a figment. And I think that poetry serves us by saying this is the way it is, and we don't have the answers. And on some level, that brokenness is perfect. To me, to me there's a, uh, they're twins, perfection and the brokenness. And, you know, we could break our, our, our speech patterns. We can go from very formal to a vernacular. We could take a, a, an iambic poem and, and, and have it just split the page because it's iambic couplets. Um, so I see, I see this uh, poetry as, as an opportunity to, to, to explore the human condition through brokenness, um, and, and that's how I see it. Yeah, even the prose poem, Michael. I mean, when you have a prose poem, the diction is used in such a way that's exaggerated. It's not the way we speak. 
It isn't the way we talk. It isn't the way we think. It gives us a chance to, 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 to shift from our everyday, from the, from the vivid and continuous dream of our life, to see it more clearly on some level or from a different perspective. So that's my two cents. Listening to you, it truly sounds like you believe what you're saying with a passion to me. Yeah. Am I right or am I wrong? I'm passionate. Yeah, I, be, I, yeah. I believe it for the moment until somebody says, hey, what about this? And I go, oh, you're right. And I'll jump ship in a second. <laughs> <laughs> I don't but I want to know more about this brokenness. Tell me more about the brokenness. Yeah. I mean, I've never heard that word before used around poetry, uh-huh. the broken piece. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's fascinating well, to me. Tell me more. Well, I, I just think that we all live thinking that our house is in the same spot. Every time we, we leave, we go to the work, we go to, we go to grocery stores, we visit friends, and we expect our house to be in the same spot. But truthfully, the world's shifting. We're spinning. We're a rock out there. It isn't in exactly the same place, close enough that we could live in our normal everyday conventional life. But poetry says, let's be exact, let's be metaphorical, let's collide that. Let's really take a look. Slow down. You have to slow down. It engages you. And when we slow down, we see it differently. So I think that our patterns, our everyday patterns, we, we go to bed, we wake up, we have our breakfast, our lunch, we, you know, we, 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 we say hello to the bluebirds. But the truth of the matter is when we examine it closely, which is what I think that, that, uh, that, that poetry does, um, and we're motivated and we're touched and we're put into a different state, it breaks the pattern. And literally, it breaks, we break the language. So mm-hmm. that's why I mean by broken. And, and, and I right. think that, um, yeah, that's what I mean. Why is it? Why is it important? Why is poetry important? That's what I want to know from you, Michael. Why is it important? Yeah. I think it helps us see it opens us up. You know, I think that the routine of day-to-day living, even with the catastrophic mm-hmm. things going on and the gloriously beautiful things that are going on, poetry stops us and says, look at this. No, 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 mm-hmm. no, really, really look at this. And by which it says, here's a mirror by which you can look at yourself. Or here's a window. You pass by your window every day, Michael. Same window. But the sky is different. The clouds are different. Not day by day, not minute by minute, but I mean instant by instant. And if we look, that's what I think poetry does. It gives us a mirror, it gives us a window, and it opens us up. Wow. That's nice. Now I'm going to try it one more time to pronounce the title of your book. Because I okay. want to find out what inspired the book. Visiting her in Queens is more enlightening than a month in a monastery in Tibet. What inspired yeah. this fantastically titled book? <laughs> you know, I'll tell you, that poem was first published in a magazine called The Sun. And when they accepted the poem, they said, we'd love to have this poem that has a title that's longer than God's necktie. <laughs> <laughs> and it is. <laughs> yes, it's long. It's long. <laughs> Just, right. Well, who knows what inspires, but you know, the truth is this, this is the title poem of, of, of the chapter. 
And mm-hmm. um, it, it really does deal with my mom. My mom, um, uh, she, she had Alzheimer's uh, disease. Right. And, she, and to the very, very last moment, she was just a spark of life. And um, mm-hmm. I wanted to understand my mom in this phase of her life. We were very, very close. She was my mm-hmm. greatest advocate. And, um, you know, she passed about three years ago, Mike, and, 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 and I wanted to understand. And I live in California now, but I used to live in Queens where she and my dad now, my dad's still alive at 96. He, he, she, she, they lived, and um, when I would go visit her, I'd see, of course, the shifts in her, you know, especially, you know, you walk away from something and you look again and you see it new, you see it new. And um, I, I wanted to celebrate her. And, um, and, and, and I have an interest in Buddhism and I have walked mm-hmm. the Himalayas with my son oh, wow. and I have studied with mm-hmm. the Lamas. And I've, so, I mean, the combination of Queens and Tibet and my mother's disease and visiting her and becoming enlightened. Because when you think of Alzheimer's or dementia, you think of a diminishment. And on some level, just like we talked about poetry being broken, it is mm-hmm. true. But on some level, just like poetry, there is perfection in that. And the moment that we had with her Alzheimer's, where she would float off, and she would make on some level no sense, I didn't fight it. I went with her. She wanted me mm-hmm. to be the AT&T man. I would be the AT&T man who was here to help <laughs> sure. her phone. I say whatever mm-hmm. she wanted. So that's what inspired the book and the poem. Mm. What did you learn about yourself, Michael, writing the book? Mm. Yeah. Who are you as a consequence? Yes. Who are you as a consequence of writing this book? Yeah, my mother's son. My mother's right. son in all regards. As I was as a child, as a baby, as I am today at 65, in -hmm. reflection of my dear mother, who was a little bit, you know, she wasn't easy. She was cantankerous. She was a challenger. (laughs) But, 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 But I saw, but, but acceptance, the way she accepted me, you know, I had some, some uh, physical disabilities. Uh, my, I had mm-hmm. a born with a hearing loss of 65%. My mother, mm-hmm. my mother just supported me. I was slow in school. They wanted to leave me back. She stood in front of that school and yelled at the principal. I was right next to her. He's, keep him in the grade. Trust him. And the way she accepted me for who I was, gave, she gave mm-hmm. me an opportunity to do the same thing in return. So that's what I learned, acceptance, mm-hmm. celebration, and, that, and, again, the brokenness, maybe that's my theme of the day, and I can't promise you to right. be that way tomorrow because I, I don't believe in permanence, but I do mm-hmm. believe that, that that's what I learned from this, from this ex- exploration. Please share, Paul. Sure. Why don't we start off with that one? Let's start off All with right. that one. All right. I love it. Okay. Let's see if I can get the title right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, because you know I can't. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. we'll see, we'll see. Okay. <laughs> Visiting her in Queens is more enlightening than a month in a monastery in Tibet. For the fourth time, my mother asks, how many children do you have? I'm beginning to believe my answer to mom is wrong. Maybe the lesson is they are not mine not owned by me, and she is teaching me about my relationship 
with her. I wash my dish and hers. She washes them again. I ask why. She asks why I care. Before bed, she unlocks and opens the front door. While she sleeps, I close and lock it. She gets up, unlocks it. What I have, no one wants, she says. I nod. She nods. Are we agreeing? My shrunken guru says she was up all night preparing a salad for my breakfast. She serves me an onion. I want her to make French toast for me like she used to. I want to tell her about my pain. I want her to make it go away. I want the present to be as good as the past she does not remember. I toast white bread for her, butter it, cut it in half. I eat a piece of onion. She asks me why I'm crying. The end. Wow. Now, Michael, do you come from a literary background? No. Um, I mean, in that my parents, we didn't have really books in the house. And I, because of my hearing problem and my sight issues, I still, and I have very, very severe dyslexia, Reading is very hard for me, so no, right. uh, I can't say that I come from that background. Um, mm-hmm. But I did, I did have a very interesting moment that changed my life, Michael. If you wanted to hear that part, that deals with literature. I'd, I'd love to. You have to share. Well, I was at a place called SUNY Binghamton uh, in the late '80s. That's where I graduated college. I went to SUNY Binghamton, which is where I met Lois, my wife. Uh, we've been married 41 years. And um, I was in my senior seminar. I was already accepted to two law schools. And I was in my senior seminar, Michael, in, in, in political science. I had written some stories, um, fiction, and a couple of poems. Um, but just because my friends were writers at school, but not, but, but not because I thought I would be a writer. Um, though I was always told that was one of my gifts. You know, I was terrible in mathematics. I could, I mean, forget about anything with science. So my gift to get into good schools, like Suna Binghamton, was to write a certain way, and they accepted that. Well, in my senior seminar, I'm sitting there, and probably about 12 students and the professor. In walks a man. I don't know who he is. He's all dressed in black leather. I kid you not. He has a white page boy haircut around down to his shoulders. He's carrying a black uh, motorcycle helmet. I mean, this guy is scary. I say, oh, my God, it's the angel of death. He walks in, and he says, who's Michael Mark? I don't raise my hand because I, I swear I think he's a angel of death. The professor who knows this gentleman says, John, that's, he's over there. John, who's John? He, this man said, come out to the side of the, come out of the room. We went into the hallway. He goes, I'm John Gardner. I, said, I don't know who John Gardner is. Like I told you, Mike, I did not have a background in literature. Well, he, you know, it turned out to be John Gardner who's written 21 novels. And it was, you know, oh, wow. major, 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 major award winner. I mean, you know, up for a national book award and the Pulitzer Prize and even the Nobel. And um, he said to me, I think you're a writer. I said, what do you mean? I'm going to be a lawyer. I'm not, you know, that's what I'm going to be. I'm going to, I'm going to be the first lawyer in my, in my family. I, no. He said, no, no, no. I read this story. It won the literary award at 
school. He says, I read that story. I'm starting a program here. I want you to be a writer, and I'm going to give you a very handsome, you know, stipend and scholarship. I said, oh, my gosh, you've got to be kidding me. I go home. Well, I go to the dorms to Lois. I said, Lois, this is what happened. She says, I know John Gardner. I said, you gotta, I said, she goes, you got to do that. You be, a, you won't be happy as a lawyer. I said, you got to be telling, you're telling me this now. <laughs> and the truth of the matter is, I went ahead and I got my master's of arts with John Gardner, and he taught me fiction, and and that's how I started. And my and my first book was published two years later. But, but it's all, wow. it's, yeah, yeah, that's how that happened. I know it's freaky, right? <laughs> oh, yes, life. Wow. Well, let me ask this question. As you think about your entire body of work, what are some of your predominant themes that you write about? Uh, well, I think it's the um, – I thought about this because I knew you might ask. I think about that it's about the extraordinary surrounded by the ordinary. I think it's the amazing in the very commonplace. I mean, I write about family all the time. Mm-hmm. That's right. not unusual. I write about mm-hmm. aging. I write about illness. I was a hospice volunteer uh, helping people die for eight years before COVID. I, I, write, I write about the human condition, and I find it the everyday miraculous. And so I think that's what my common theme is, you know? You know. Mm-hmm. So how does a poem begin for you, Michael, with an idea mm. A form or an image? Okay, I'm going to give you a resounding yes. All, <laughs> All right. <laughs> you know, because, because Talk to me. <laughs> um, it, 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 it's a very sensual experience for me. If I feel a vibration, that means mm-hmm. it's authentic. There's a lot of fool's gold out there. I write probably about 20, 30 poems for everyone that I that I really think is a worthwhile poem. They're all, they're all attempts, and they're very engaging, and they're charming, and I can fall for them, but they're not the true love. So mm. I go by a, a sense, a smell sometimes, of a color sometimes, a vibration. It's, it doesn't matter, a taste, but it's very body-oriented. And um, I follow them all. I take my butterfly net out, and I just swipe at all of them. And then I bring them home, and I look at them, and I, I, I explore with them, and I hopefully don't kill them. And, and, and I write, and I write, and I write. And I write. I write. It could be – it's not unusual to write 10 hours a day for me. Wow. Um, and yeah, yeah, I, I'm relentless because, because I was in – you know, I gave up writing because I couldn't make a living at it, even though there were some nice reviews of my books when I was 24 and 26. I couldn't make a mm-hmm. living. Lois, when I got married, I was 24. And so I, I stopped completely. I stopped just like stopped. And I never wrote again And then until I retired. And then I'm, now mm-hmm. I'm back to it. So, so I'm at it with a great, you know, I'm obsessed. And so, um, yeah, that's how it begins. <laughs> Here's a question that I've not asked in a very long time. Mm. And maybe I was saving it for you. Oh, yeah. Do poems change color in certain lights? Oh, my gosh, I love Mike. You're right. That's a great <laughs> question. I, I, I think they change color all the time. I think Tell it, me. It, it's, in di- it's in dialogue with your colors, with your spirit. 
You remember those old the old days we get mood rings? Uh, you know, the mood <laughs> rings. They tell you, right? You know, and I don't know if it was a gimmick or not, but, you know, I'm a big believer in things. So, okay, I'm going with the truth. And, and I say, okay, I believe if I'm feeling a certain color, you know, if, then, that, then the poem is in dialogue with me, and I'm in dialogue. So it's a living, breathing entity. It's moving. How many times do we look at a poem and think we know it? How many times do we look out the window and say, oh, yeah, I know, it's not raining. Well, is it not raining? Is it, what is it doing? I mean, it's, it's, so, we, so I believe that the colors do shift. I think the sounds mm. shift. I, I mean, it, the meanings certainly shift. Mm. You know, Michael, all great writers have great writing mm. influences. And you talked about John Gardner. Yeah. Who are some of yours yeah. and what makes them great in your eyes? Yeah, uh, you know, I'm going to tell you this. My, because I have my dyslexia and because I'm not as well read as I'd like to be, and I'm working on it, Mike, but Sorry. is that I'm, my, my influences are really, you know, people in the grocery store. The, 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 the mm. person who's standing in the butter aisle with about 15 different types of butter they got four butters in their hand, two on each side, and they're just trying to figure out, should I get the one with the Grecian herbs? Should I get the creamery? Should I get the organic? So what, what should I get? The salted? I don't know. And I watch them, and I find that they're studying the ingredients, the calories, and it means everything. Nothing else means anything at that moment, not their job, not their health, not their family. They want to know what the right choice. Then I'm interested, this small moment. So I'm really, so when you, when you walk the street and you see somebody have a limp or you see somebody with a beautiful jacket, I mean, I've written about a jacket. I've written about how a dog walks. It, it's these small, unbelievable things. So that's my greatest influence, you know. And now my poetry influences, I have hundreds of them. I'd say my number one is Tony Hoagland, who passed some years ago. And okay. the reason to answer your question is because of his playfulness and his searing commentary on society. He took mm -hmm. up the gauntlet, my God, and he got into hot water for it. And maybe he trespassed. I'm not here to defend. I'm saying that his writing feels like if I was smarter, more sensitive, more gifted, I would go for that. So he's a, he's a great inspiration for me. And his, his essays are remarkable. So I would recommend that to anybody. He's a book of them. Uh, the, the Polish poets are really inspirational for me. Uh, a Zimborska, a Swear, a Jagiewski. These Polish poets, I find, they have the, the humbleness and the darkness. They have a rough texture, I think, in, 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 their, in their poetry. They're sitting down there and they're straight at the problem or the seriousness of it, and yet they find a, a sweetness, an opening, a hole, the break, the crack, a positive break, a crack. And so, so I love them for that. Um, mm -hmm. I have Charlie Simic. Charlie Simic, who is a contemporary poet, he, he, uh, he writes so simply and so bizarrely about the most incredible things. Anybody should just look at the, po the book called The Lunatic. Phenomenal. That poem alone is incredible. Um, <laughs> Sharon Olds. Sharon Olds is one of my favorites. She writes about family, as I do. And Jane Hirschfield is mm -hmm. another one who writes about, from spiritual places to take the abstract and make it concrete. So that, wow. that, those would be some, yeah. All right. Please share a poem. 
Oh, yeah, sure. I'd be happy to. I'm going to read another one from the book. Uh, this is um, an epistolary poem. It's written to my mom. I actually wrote this poem um, in San Francisco. Uh, was visiting with my with Lois, my wife, and I was looking at the Golden Gate Bridge, and I pretty much wrote this there, and of course take it home and and I reworked it, but it's called Watching the Golden Gate Bridge Disappear. Mom, I'm in San Francisco, and the bridge is being taken away. The East Tower is completely gone. All morning, the pillars resisted the fog until they were exhausted. Was it like that for you when you didn't know how to make your famous tuna the way I liked it anymore and you kept calling me the mean tailor? I needed to take in your house dress you'd gotten so thin. The suspension cables barely peek out now. And the cars are creeping into the invisible. It's getting hard to remember how it was. The locals tell me to just wait. In a moment, the whole bridge will return with the cars, the boats, the bay, the sun. The end. You know, Michael, there's so much emotion to me involved in your writing, just, just listening to the words, knowing what they may mean to you. Mm. Emotion. Can a person mm. be called a poet if they don't feel strong emotions? That's my question. I, 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 don't, I think they can if the poem emotes itself. So, I mean, you think okay. about a doctor. You think about a doctor. If he's a, she is a phenomenal clinician, and they heal you, mm-hmm. but they don't have a bedside manner. I don't know mm. what they feel. They may not like me, but they cured my mm-hmm. issue. They are a yes, great doctor. Sure. So I think it's all in the poetry. I don't think it. All I right. think it's in the art. I think it. Yeah, I do. Now, yeah. So that's what I think. Yeah. All right. Now, when you think about writing, does it hurt you to write poetry? If not, why not? Uh, I think you feel, you can feel pain. I Mm -hmm. think you could, I don't know that it causes me harm. I think it gives me great, great empathy. I hope, I think hopefully it gives the others read it empathy i think if you want to say that it feels you feel pain you feel others situation well i think that's a wonderful opening that you see through the window the other person that is the beautiful a beautiful part about all art i think art um does it hurt me to write it sometimes it hurts me to think about the things that the poetry brings me to like i blocked it there's certain things Mm -hmm. that we don't want to see we don't want to know but you know what you know what it brings me to that. And I do have sadness. I cry. I have pain. It worries me. Mm-hmm. I also worry that mm-hmm. sometimes because I write about my family, Michael, it does hurt them. I know I have. And I am, I am right. conflicted, greatly conflicted about that. Because, listen, mm-hmm. my dad, when he read, read this book, he said, Michael, I don't like this book. But he recognized, mm-hmm. he, yeah, he recognized that people – 
you know, like it, and 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 it's helping people, and and it has. It's been written up in medical journals because of, of how to help people with, you know, who have Alzheimer's or or and they don't yes. read it, but, but the people with family have it. Doctors and physicians have written, have read about it. So 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 he sees that part, but it hurts him. Now, do I want to hurt my dad? No, it hurts me to do that. So I so I'm conflicted. So I I I have to say it might hurt me, but is it the writing that hurts me? I don't know. I don't think the writing hurts me. I think the writing helps me get closer to the subject or further away to see it better, perhaps. Well, maybe let's frame it this way: have a poem, have a poem that you've written ever frightened or humbled you? Yeah. Yeah, talk to me. I think that's tell me about it. Uh, I, I I think I think sometimes when I write a poem that um, that tells the truth that as I was saying I was hiding. Mm. It, it, it 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 it's like a, it's like somebody who was looking over and says, "You see, you see," and I can't look away anymore because I I put it down on paper, and I can't look away, um, mm-hmm. and so I am humbled because now I recognize, you know, Michael, you missed something. There's a poem, and I I'll read it now if you don't mind. I, I'd like but that I very much. Poem, it, because of what you said, I wasn't intending to read this poem. But I'm going to read it because it's a poem about regret, um, and it deals with my dad, and it deals with my son. So three generations mm-hmm. uh, in this po- are in this poem. Um, it's called Dancing with My Father at My Son's Wedding. There's no room on the floor, no place he won't get bumped, and I won't be able to stop his fall so we find a corner he's taking his hearing aids out the band pounds its assault i take his hand a former boxer's hand with a father's thicker fingers he rests his wrist on my shoulder for me to lead i pull him closer feel for his balance find his eyes Unsure if he sees mine, I nod once and gently press him backwards, then to the side. I study our black shoes, see him teaching me to spit shine, his brush punishing the heels and toes like enemies. He wobbles. I grab tight. It was just a shuffle step. A fighter's faint. He smirks. Loves that I fell for it. I count out loud, shouting over the music, as if he could hear. As if this were about dancing. The end. That was very powerful, Michael. Yeah, thank you. Well, this is because this is the reason why I brought this up, Michael, is because this is a poem that humbled me greatly because I wish I had done this. But I, mm. we, my, I did not dance with my father. My mother had passed away. My son mm-hmm. was, at, at, was getting married, and we had a beautiful affair, 
and everybody was mm-hmm. joyous. And my father did no longer have my mother, and they used to dance. When they would dance, people would clear the floor and watch them go. <laughs> and they were beautiful together. And I should have. I should have done this with my dad. And on the ride home, the plane ride home, we got, my, my son was built, married in Baltimore to his wife. And I, we flew back and I recognized in retrospect, oh, Michael, oh, Michael, why didn't you do this? And, I, and I, on the plane home, I started writing this poem. But I was humbled by it to, to answer your question. Well, I want to thank you for sharing that piece with us. I really, it's very powerful, very powerful. It's uh, extremely touching, extremely thank touching. You. Let's take a brief break, Michael, and we'll be right back. Okay. back. I am Michael Anthony Ingram. I'm here with the amazing Michael Mark. Michael allowed me to butcher the name of his book <laughs> when we first started this program. And he graciously hung in there with me. <laughs> so I owe him the world. I owe him the world. All right, Michael, question for you. <laughs> Some poets yeah. claim that a poem is like a living creature. Once it's out there, there's not much you can do to correct or improve it while others edit meticulously, not leaving much from the original draft form. What is your take on the editing process? Oh, my gosh, that's such a great question. It is. What a dance it is. Because I believe, that, <laughs> I believe, I believe both sides of this story. That, and I have butchered poems that had a, a life of, that I over-edited in, in hopes of what? Of making it more... Um, uh, what would you say, a, a better crafted poem, but I bled out its beauty, its rawness. Um, at the same time, there are many times when I have worked on a poem, and, many, and when I, I average probably 100 rewrites, by the way, per poem. Mm-hmm. But, 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 but um, sometimes you pass the stop sign. You just go right mm-hmm. through it, unfortunately. That's a dangerous thing. <laughs> then there are times that you think you've done it, and you know what? You look back at it and you go, even after it's published, I'll do this. I go, oh, wait a second here. How did I let that go? Oh, my God. And so, so, so it is a dance. It is. Uh, it, it, mm-hmm. So I don't, I don't have a real rule except to say that I do believe very, very strongly in, in the rewriting process. But you need to give it a little bit space. 
I don't know how you, mm-hmm. people definitely do. I do it different ways. I work on several poems simultaneously so that when I, when I feel like taking a break from one, I wash my mind with, with another. And by the time I get back to the other one, it truncates the time. I don't have to wait as long because I kind of forgot about it. Oh, yeah, and I can see it clear. <laughs> At least I hope I can. So, so that's my answer there. All right. Do you think you were meant to be a poet, my friend? No. To express this way? No, no. Talk to me. Tell me. <laughs> I, 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 I think I probably should be a playwright, if anything. I, I, think, <laughs> I, think, in a very, I think in a very physical way, and I, I feel mm-hmm. I understand the, 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 the way the audience and the, and, and, and the actors are working with the language and with the sounds of the words. Um, I don't think I was meant to be a poet. I, I, I think that I was, I was, because of my, of my, what one person termed as affliction, because of my eyes and my ears and my speech problems, that um, I was probably meant, if you want to go that way, uh, to be an, on some level a communicator. Yeah, All I right. think so. Somewhat of a communicator, mm-hmm. right. Well, as you think about being a poet, what surprises you most? Wow. What surprises me most, I think, is that I think I have a self-knowledge, and I really don't. And that the poem, the poet, the poem, or the poet in me, or the poet outside of me that's working with me, and the page Mm -hmm. and the language and the sounds are showing me different points that, oh, shedding light, little laser beams into what I thought I understood, but no, 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 no. And then revealing, or maybe sometimes supporting what I thought I knew. And they go, no, you're right, you're right, you're right. So I, I, I'm always surprised. And also language that I said, I didn't know, I never used that word. Why am I using that word? How did that happen? Mm-hmm. And I think that, mm-hmm. I think that, you know, I'm in touch at that point. I'm being like I see myself as a receiver, like a radio receiver. Right. I'm just that receiver. You know, I'm not the guy. You know, who who made the music. I didn't sing mm-hmm. the song. I didn't write the lyrics. I didn't write the, the the music, and I didn't play the music. I'm not. I didn't do the instruments, but I am, and I'm not even the disc jockey. I'm just the person receiving it. So I, mm-hmm. I I can you know I could be the one that shouts it out and you know we put the volume up and I'll be loud or quiet, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. I when I'm writing well I'm just receiving and I'm often surprised about what I, what what I find the good poems they say what do they say no surprise mm-hmm. for the writer no surprise for the reader so I believe in that. Well, you know it's funny. So much is happening in our world, my friend. You talked earlier about the beauty and things being broken. There's the good, the bad, the ugly, and as I state, the indifferent. What do you view as being the role of a poet in modern-day society? You ask good questions. I I wish I was up to the the task, you know. Um, I, I can only speak... And I feel very limited. I, I, I don't have a broad knowledge. I, I certainly recognize what you're saying, Michael, in, 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 in the nature of our world. Um, and there is just, it's just catastrophic in ways. And I love that you mentioned the indifference. That sensitivity. You see many sides. That's beautiful. And I'd say for me, 
it's an opener. The, the, poet is, the, poem, the poem is an opener. Like I'm surprised by certain things. The poem opens it up like the window I referred to earlier. It helps us see the other side. It lets us say, I don't know. Because poetry, everybody says, you know, you've taught from the first grade on. It's hard. What is the puzzle? Well, okay, we, don't, we get a chance, a beautiful chance to say, I don't know. How often is that okay? Very rarely. You know, mm-hmm. how do you get somewhere? I don't know. You don't know? Go on Google Maps. You know, but in poetry, <laughs> you could be allowed to, I don't know. And I think that's very powerful. And so when you say you don't know, maybe you find out, see something different. So mm-hmm. I would say that the, the, the poetry and poems open us up to the possibility of learning something new, of being empathetic, of seeing the other side, not only mm-hmm. ours. And I think that's very, very important. What about the person who writes the poem? What is his or her role in society? I would say he writes the poem, or she writes the poem. They write the poem. They're the poem writers. It's, and, and All I right. I don't mean I don't mean to be flipped. I, I, I really, I think so you don't make any distinction between the writer and the poem. They're one and the same. No, I don't. I do make a distinction. I say, just like you asked earlier, <laughs> if the poet doesn't have emotion, can the poet? The poem can. So I think, I think the poet is just, is, 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 is the, um, again, is the receiver of the, of, of, of the influence. It embodies it and lets it out. Is a loudspeaker. And so is the, is the medium. Is the medium. It's the conjurer. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you know, Please. you speak with such conviction, my friend. <laughs> and eloquently on top of it. <laughs> yes, oh, very yeah. much so. What so is the relationship be between your speaking voice and your written voice? Yeah, they're in dialogue. And by the way, they're many mm. voices. If you look at the poems, I write in couplets, I write in mm-hmm. two sets. I write long lines. I write very short lines. I write in vernacular. And I write a formal voice. It's in response to the to the music that's being played by the disc jockey. So my mm. voice, you know, you could hear I'm from I'm from New York. I'm from Queens, and you know, yes. and, 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 and 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 that's right. But then when I'm listening to something. It, it comes out of different language. I wouldn't write the same language for a wicker chair as I would for a for a fancy modern Ames chair or contemporary Ames chair. I just it wouldn't be the right language, sounds, syntax, diction. Nothing would be right. The form would be wrong. It, they have to be their own. So I think we have many voices, and so with the poems. I like different registers, Michael. I like when the poems shift, when they go from mm-hmm. a formali- formality to a street level, you know, guy on the corner, you know, waiting for you know, the bus, you know, vernacular. I like that, mm-hmm. the shifts, mm-hmm. because I believe that we all have that, that inconsistencies that we, mm-hmm. that we have. You know, one minute we're happy, the next minute we're devastated with news, you know, <laughs> like... And it's and we're the same people. One minute, you know, so mm-hmm. so like so so I want the poet. I think that the, my poetry has many voices, and I'm in conflict. I'm in conflict and in conversation with. 
All right. Very nice. Very nice. Please share another piece mm. of your work. Okay. Sure. Um, uh, I'm going to read this poem for my wife, Lola. Well, I call her Lola, but her name is Lois. And um, this is a pandemic poem. It's a little longer. I just warn you. It's a little longer. Um, and it's a pandemic poem. What happened was, talk about continuity, was we have our places in our house. We're married 41 years. And we have our ways. Our children are out of the house. They are married. They have their lovely lives and lovely spouses, remarkable people. And so when I come out of my room, I call my, where I write mostly the dream room, Michael. That's what I call it. And, um, and Lois is often writing. She's a journalist, and she's sitting there in her spot. Well, during the pandemic, you know, we didn't have many places to go, and the routine was broken. She would go upstairs and do a puzzle on a big, wide table that she couldn't do on her regular writing area. And I come out of my dream room, still half of my dream state from writing, Where's Lolo? She left me. And I would go through this, like, this, this morning, like, oh, my God, what happened? I mean, it's so silly, but it's what happened. And so I wrote this poem about what would happen. Okay. When Lois does a puzzle, I know I'm in trouble. Like when she takes out a thousand-piece abstract, a Kandinsky, or mandala of Buddha's numberless lives, she's telling me, she hasn't lost hope yet, but it's iffy for us. When Lois slides from the shelf, one of the world's great destination series, for example, balloons on a spring night over Paris, actually any place we've been together, she's wishing she had wings. Or for us to be as we once were. Or for me to be less of the version I've become, and more like that witty, hipless, Mick Jagger-looking waiter on Rue de Marie. When Lois says I should mind my harsh speech, my miserliness, my wobbly yellow belly can stay, I sense somewhere she has a puzzle of me, that she works like a voodoo doll, snapping out pieces of me she wants gone. When Lois is lost in a puzzle of a place we've only dreamt of visiting, Kenyan migration or Nile landscape, I know the passing fantasy of leave Michael has arrived on her to-do list between 1% milk and light bulbs. So I boil her a kettle of Himalayan hibiscus tea, letting the llama-sanctified kaleidoscopic leaves steep a full six minutes and bring her her large creamy white cup, the one scripted with the giant O for Oprah's autograph, and the almond biscuits with the dark chocolate bits she hides behind legumes and soup cans. She's got, and she has a right to. My lack of restraint is notorious. I carry a lamp up from the downstairs, put a pillow at her back, and remind her not to hunch. And when she's taking on the 2,000-piece Colosseum, that Rome is still being built. It's the journey. Then I bow away. When I can't do a puzzle, because Lois says, I don't know myself. When I ask, where does this go? She looks at me. As if she's wondering the same. The end. Wow. 
<laughs> that was really yeah. nice. <laughs> that was really nice. <laughs> oh, wow. <Yeah. laughs> Say hello to your wife for me, please. <laughs> I'll I will. Myself. Hello, Lois. Hey, Lois. Your husband is fantastic. <laughs> Michael, you've written a lot. You've written a lot. You've been published in a number yeah. of different journals, books. Mm-hmm. What I want to know from you is, where does your poetic mm-hmm. doubt begin and where does it end? Your poetic my, doubt. My poetic, oh my, doubt. I love that question. Yeah. Oh, boy. When does it begin? Oh, I think it's constant, except when I am no longer feeling my, 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 my beingness, no, I mean, the, my physicality, I'll say. When I am so lost that Michael isn't here, when the poem is flowing, I am, there's no thinking, there's no judgment. This is part of the revision process we talked about earlier that I should have mentioned. Because when, when I am not being judgmental and I just let it flow, flow mm-hmm. then those lines are usually very good and they don't need revision. When I am saying, I don't know about this, is that the right word? Oh, gee, I wish I, should I switch that? Oh, that's no good. That's, that's, that's inauthentic. I don't believe a word you're saying now, Michael. When that's happening, the doubt is, is raging. But when, mm. when it's not, when I'm just in the flow, when the flow is happening, I'm not even here. I'm just, I'm just <laughs> what am I? I don't, I, I don't even know. I don't have a term for it. But that's what, I don't, that's what I'm doubt. That's what I'm doubtless. Right. <laughs> you know, one of the things that people talk about a lot is accessibility of meaning. And what I'd like to know from you is, should one employ a lot of mental energy to solve mm. a poem in terms of your reading? Yeah. I love this question. I just, I'm just learning so much. I just enjoy this. Uh, you know, I was wondering about this because I have gone to three different MFA programs. I have okay. dropped out of I have dropped out of all of them, Michael. I'm a fa- I failed three. I know. Can you believe it? And they're really very good programs. They're highly, you know, they're they're, they're highly regarded programs. I, I was wondering for me if on the subject of accessibility, how important that was. And at one point, I think I was writing poems. For the poet, the and I, okay. I don't mean to be I don't mean to be disparaging, and I'm sure I'm using the wrong word, but for the the elite poets, the poets who speak thirty languages. Look, I you 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 give me the wasteland. There are moments in it that I really really get, but without mm-hmm. the footnotes, the illusions over my head. I'm sorry. When I read a Tony Hogan or a Sharon Olds or a Charles Simic or or a Jane Hirschfeld, the ones I mentioned, oh my gosh, a Zimborska, who won the Nobel Prize. Mm-hmm. I am a puddle of emotion. It's so accessible. It's beyond my comprehension to even discern it. I'm just filled with their beautiful language, their images, their music. That I believe now in this time, and again, I might shift, is critically important. And so I think it's, it's very important to, if you're writing poetry, that you do touch 
an audience. Now, you're not, gonna, not everybody's going to like your work. They're not going to all understand no, sure. it. That's mm-hmm. all right. You, but if your attention is to make a human connection, now, it could be with an elite, these people who are really bright and have a discerning mm-hmm. mind way beyond my capabilities. Fine. That's mm-hmm. not my audience. That's not my audience. I want, mm. I, I, I like, research. I, I, I'm proud that my, my work gets into some of those very, very prestigious academic journals or elite journals, but I'm also proud that it gets into the, the when it's a good poem, into, um, you know, Joe, not Joe, Joe Sixpack, as they used to say, because I'm not a big fan of that guy, but, 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 but not Joe Sixpack, he could, but the people who used it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, <laughs> I I I think um, I think I want to I think I want them to get it. I want them to get it. I want and I feel I want that connection with them, that community. I do. I I think that's what makes my my poems. I hope um, worthy of their time. Mm. Michael, what would it be that you would tell your younger writing self if you could tell your younger writing self anything? Uh, I I don't know how different I am from from my younger writing self. I'm, I'm okay. I feel pretty young in this, Michael, because I'm, I'm I've been writing like like ten years, I think maybe nine years of poetry. So okay. not that pretty young. But but but, but I mean the other stuff. Ah, uh, I just think it'd be stay curious, be open, hear hear it all, mm-hmm. feel it all. Work hard and have your priorities. You know, it, 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 it isn't hard work, but I always felt this way. I felt, I, yeah, yeah, I, I don't know how different I would be. I, 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 you know, maybe I haven't learned, come as far as I should, but that's how I am. All right. You know, let's for a moment imagine that a poem is like a cake. Mm-hmm. All right? Just for a moment. Yeah. Yeah. What would be some of the prevalent ingredients that go into the concoction mm. that we call a poem? How would you construct it? I guess when, how would you bake it? What would you bake it with? <laughs> that's a better way to look at it. So, Not constructive. Right, how would you, well, what would you bake it with? I, that's fine. That's great. <laughs> well, for me, because, I mean, I could ter- give you some terms in prosody, but I'll tell you the first thing that came to my heart was authenticity. Mm-hmm. Voice. Mm, I like that. Voice. I mm-hmm. think that if I trust the voice, trust, trust, if I trust the voice, I will get into that vehicle, that poem, and I will let it go. I will, you know what, we'll roll down that window, we'll let the breeze come in, and we will fly, we will go. <laughs> I, think, I think for me that's critical. That is, that is the authenticity. If you hit a false note, and you take me out of that dream, I might forgive you if the rest of it is that good. Because, of course, there's failure in this. It's, we're using language to express something that's impossible to express, so it's going to be a failure anyway. And that might be part of the human condition too, that breakage, that perfection at the mm-hmm. same time. I would say authenticity. Mm-hmm. I mean, I could list, of course, you know, of, you know, music and, and image and all that, but that, we you know, I think it's authenticity and voice for me. So right. maybe a pretty, a pretty, a pretty plain cake. 
<laughs> but a good one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Good, good, good. Not a good one. Not a good one. Please share a poem, my friend. Please share a poem. I want to hear your okay. voice. Hey, you know, and your authenticity. Okay. I want to hear your voice. All right. <laughs> okay, okay. Let's let's do this one. Um, this is about being brought up in Queens. This is how I was brought up, Michael. If you want to know, this is called religion. You have to squint these days to taste the berry in the blackberries. Still, you eat even the bad ones, all because the date on the package has passed. It's a morning for toast, cold in the house. You want low-sugar bread with avocado, sea salt, and tomato, but they'll keep one more day. On the calendar, in tomorrow's box, you write avocado toast. By evening, you're bullied again by what feels like religion. This you must eat now. That you must let die a little more. You know you have saved enough to not live this way. You hold the last blackberry away from your mouth. Stare into its countless lightless eyes and wait for what you've been raised to believe is the proper time to wait. The end. Wow. (laughs) Michael, what do you hope readers get from encountering your work? What do you want them to walk away with after they read your work? Uh, Uh... Ah, you know, I don't think a whole lot of the, mm-hmm. about the reader when I'm writing at all. I mean, I don't think. Okay. But okay. now that okay. you ask that question, what do I want them to take away? That they're not alone. And oh, that we wow. are different. That we are mm-hmm. different, but we, are, we have mm-hmm. so much the same. And that mm-hmm. there's community. And that empathy and celebration, cooperation, coexistence, as it says on the bumper stickers around here. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I want, I, I, I'm not saying for unity in that we all march to the same drama. No, 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 no. But, but allow me to skip a little bit. And you know what? Mm-hmm. If you want to twirl, you twirl too. We could do that. And I just think that, that mm-hmm. that's what I think. And I know that sounds really kind of like, you know, grade school stuff, but um, yeah. You know, we've reached a part of the program that I love. I view it as being what I call a poetry concert. That's where you, the artist, will share three poems back to back without interruption. No questions from me. Just three poems you'd like to share back to back. Oh, would you do that for me? Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Of course I will. Okay. Let's go. Um, Mm-hmm. Sorry. Okay. That's all right. I'm going to start off with this poem called Chromophobia, which is a fear of color. Chromophobia. Because today I cannot look anyone in the face. I look for facts. The skin weighs between eight and ten pounds. 
Color depends entirely on the creature looking. Light repeats itself. Color depends entirely on the creature looking. Gold is to religion as bread is to forgiveness. Color becomes its own light source. Chromophobia is an irrational fear of colors. If we can weigh color, we can weigh light. Red rhymes with humanity because today cannot look anyone in the face. There isn't any objective real color in the world. Blue is a temperature. Relationships are born out of color. Say there isn't any real color in the world. Say the pumping heart pumps 17,000 pounds of blood 80 times fast. It's the size of a fist. Blue is an emotion. Because today I cannot look anyone in the face. My heart is a fist. Fact. The brain sees justice as red. Verdicts depend entirely on the creatures looking. In color theory, shade mixes color with black. Color has no center. In color theory, tint mixes color with white. The skin weighs between 8 and 10 pounds. The heart can pump out of the outside of the body. Color has memory. We can tell this color is sick by its color. Each heart has a face. This next poem is called Night Terrors. It's a fatherhood poem. I read one before. This takes on a different angle. This is me as a father, and I was a bit of a nervous dad. Um, you know, you don't want to mess it up. <laughs> it's called Night Terrors. Who doesn't hear doors opening and shrink beneath the covers, fighting the urge to sweep the room with a flashlight? You might see rodents pretending to be socks, hats, hats hunched in a corner like feral cats about to spring, or young children in pajamas at your bedside staring with your eyes. God, their horrifying smallness and needs. And the last poem I'll read is about impermanence. I guess it's the last poem in also the chapbook. Um, and I guess it relates very strongly to the title because the visiting her in Queens is more enlightening than a month in a monastery in Tibet. does reference Tibet, which is a, a Buddhist country. And this is, I would say, my, reflects my Buddhist interest and my, my study. Although I'm not the best Buddhist, I'll, I'll, I volunteer. This is about impermanence, one of the tenets of Buddhism. A daily practice. After I write temporary on each sticky note and press them onto socks, silverware, bills, my hair, I put one on each maple tree in the yard and notice I don't think of them as eternal as much. 
All it takes is a single written word on red, yellow, green tags to remind me the car isn't mine, the house isn't mine, snow, but I, money, flowers, do that just being themselves. But I stick one on fear and another one on hate, pushing with all my weight so they stay. Dogs are born with the knowledge, so no need. But old people, even shrinking in hospice beds, yeah. Somehow they transform temporary into still here. Babies are so hard, I almost can't. When the pad is empty, I wait for the glue to lose its grip and fight the urge to blow or peel them off. Sometimes a wind comes, and I stumble around, trying to catch them. The end. Wow. Oh, thank you, sir. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my pleasure. Oh, I, really, I really enjoy your work. I enjoy hearing you read your work. I really do. What I want to know is, how would you classify your ability to write poetry as a creative gift or a creative art? Ooh. Um, well, the art of it seems to be the um, the end end result. So I think there's mm-hmm. I think there's two two sides of a coin, Michael. Is how I would see this. Okay. Um, the gift the gift comes, the hard work comes, the, the you know, and the luck comes, and the art comes after all that is applied. So you have the coal. And you have the gift of the pressure on the coal and the gift of the coal. And that pressure is the hard work. And at the end, if you want to call it a diamond and you value a diamond, <laughs> if you do, mm-hmm. because some, I mean, coal, coal heats the house. Very valuable. Why make it a diamond? It ain't going to make me any warmer. It's not going to save my life. <laughs> but in my view, so, so a diamond would be the art. Um, but I don't want to diminish the art of the, of, of the coal either. But I would say it that way. I would say, I would say the two sides of a coin. All right, all right. You know, I would be remiss if I did not ask you about the beautiful cover of your chapter. Mm. Well, Tell you me about the process for coming up with the cover mm. of the chapter. Oh, okay, here's how it happened. You know, um, uh, I was very lucky because Tim Green of Rattle, who is the editor of Rattle, um, he, you, know, you submit the, 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 the contest for the prize anonymously. So he does, and he gets over 2,000 entries. So I had no, no hope of, of, of even, if it wasn't for Lois, she's the one who said to me 15 minutes before the entry time, Michael, did you, did you send it in? I know you've been working. I go, no, I didn't. She goes, Michael, she gave me a look. You know, we're married 41 years. So I've seen you before. And she gave me a dark, she gave me a Darth Vader voice. You don't do it. <laughs> well, I had 15 minutes, and I sent it in. But, but you do it anonymously. We didn't have a cover. And then when I got the call, luckily enough, that it had been selected, I had remembered I had taken a picture of my mom when visiting her in Queens. And I went to my, to my, I went to my, my iPhone, and I searched, it, and it was many years ago, and um, she was having breakfast, and I said, wow, you think this is a high enough register uh, to, to, to do it? And he, and he said, yeah, I think we can make this work. So it, I give my, my hats off to, 
to Tim for his graciousness. I really wanted that. And if you look at the back of the book, that's me standing in the spot where my mother, right outside the room where my mother is on the cover, and mm-hmm. she's no longer there because she's no longer with us. That's that was the day yes. we moved my dad to his new mm-hmm. his, his new facility, his new home. He lives in an apartment by himself. Ninety six, doing great, thank God. And 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 that, but that's just there's a little narrative in that. So thank you for asking. Oh yes, that's important. You know, if you had to convince a friend or colleague to purchase your chapbook, what would you tell them? Oh gosh. I don't know. I'm not much of a – you know, I was at Avenue. Come on, Michael. Come on now. You, you've got to think of something. Uh, I know you're probably running out of steam, uh, but you've got to think of something. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Oh, the pressure. The pressure. I asked I know I asked you to press me. Okay. Uh, I would say to this, um, I would say uh, you want – if you want to understand or see a perspective, many perspectives on – the relationship between a son, a mother, a father, as they go through a very traumatic moment, to see the horror, the terror, and the joy. Because there is joy and the beauty. Mm-hmm. If you want to experience that intensity, if you can handle it, I think that it probably, you'll probably see a lot of your life in there. You, you know, and mm-hmm. I hope that you do. And I put down the words with my best intentions. So um, I offer to you, my friend, my colleague, with my with my with the best I could offer. Okay. Very nice. You know, we've almost reached the end of our journey. And mm-hmm. my last official question to you is: Writers and poets write for a myriad of reasons. Some write primarily to speak a message to their audience. Others write because to stay silent is not an option. Why, Michael, do you mm-hmm. write? You know, to stay silent certainly is not an option for me, and my wife will tell you that for sure. I mean, I don't shut up. As you can tell, Michael. Yeah, I mean, maybe you can take me for an hour, but I doubt three. Um, I, would say, I would say I write with a flashlight in my mouth as my wow. two hands are working that, working that way, and I'm crawling through some dark hole where I'm scared, but I'm hopeful, mm-hmm and I'm searching around, and I want to see what I find, and I just want to crack, see the cracks, and I want to see the fissures, and I want to explore, and I, want to, I, want to, and I do want to see if I find anything worth sharing. I do want to share. Mm-hmm. That's why I publish. I couldn't keep it to myself. I do want to mm-hmm. share. So, mm-hmm. so, um, so that's what, for exploring and sharing. Well, would you favor us with one more before we go? One more. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. yeah. Thank you, Michael. You're so generous. You're very generous. All right. Uh, let me see what I have here. Let me see what I have here. Okay, this was a short one. This, I'm going to let my, let my dad have the final word because he's a lot smarter than me. Um, <laughs> I wrote this. This is after my mom passes, and he went. He, he likes this deli. Ben's Deli in Queens. If anybody lives in Queens and listens to this, he, he loves it. And um, this, is, this, is, this is called Celebrating His 92nd Birthday, The Year His Wife Dies. He goes to Ben's Deli because the waitress doesn't ask him how he is. He takes most of the corned beef from the sandwich, piles it on the edge of the plate, makes a thinner one with enough left for two nice ones at home. 
The waitress packs his leftovers, extra slices of rye and a half sour pickle in wax paper and two mustards in squat cups. She never removes the other setting. She lets him sit as long as he wants. The end. Sublime. Hmm. You're very kind. <laughs> Where can listeners yeah. find your work, my friend? Where can they find your work? Well, you know, the book, if, if you have to go to Rattle, uh, if you want to get the book, I mean, and I could have said this to the person who tried to encourage us to buy, buy it. It's only six bucks. And that includes <laughs> how about that? Order now, order now. Um, so if you go, if you go, if you go to rattle, if you go to rattle dot com, r a t t l e dot com, you'll be able to to find it um, for sure. I mean, my poems get published in in all sorts of places. Um, you know, mm-hmm. um, in plowshares, in the Sun magazine's coming out with a new one. Um, you know. Uh, Southern Review is coming out with a new one, Six Finch. So, I mean, I'm, I've been very, very blessed that, that these mm-hmm. publications care to carry my, 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 my little chicken scratch, and they put it in these, <laughs> these, these nice places. And, I really, I, and I'm very, very grateful. How can listeners stay in touch? Oh, well, you can go to michaeljmark.com. Michael J. Mark, J is for Jeffrey, michaeljmark.com. And that's my website. There's many, many poems on that. You can go click on mm-hmm. that. And, um, and if you want to write me something, I always like to write back. And I'm always interested in hearing what people have to say. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've had mm-hmm. people tell me, hey, you know what, Michael, this poem isn't very good. And I don't want to think about it. I mean, maybe they're right, you know. <laughs> or I've had people actually give me, I mean, on Goodreads right now, Michael, good Lord. I mean, the kindness that oh, wow. I've shown. People... People read, if you go to goodreads.com and, and put in, in the search bar, visiting her in Queens is more enlightening than a month in a monastery in Tibet. Notice, Michael, how easy I say it. I don't know what's wrong with you over there. But, Michael, where do you go from here? What's next for you, my friend? Where do you go from here? Where do you go from here? What's next? Wherever Lois goes, that's where I'm going to go. <laughs> yeah, that's where I'm going. I'm going to write. I go think ahead. I'm going to add to make it a full length. I have uh, I have been working on three other strains. I don't only write about Alzheimer's, as you can tell. So I have three very strong strains. Some of 35 pages of poems. One has like I think almost 45. Another one has 18. So I I have I have a running start on on some long longer um, you know, full-length books, and I want to finish this one and make it a full-length. I've been encouraged by so many that I think I really want to if, – if, if it's helpful in the universe, then I want to I provide. Wow. You know, Michael, throughout this entire program, I've sat here with a smile on my face because I've enjoyed, as I said earlier, listening to you. Your spirit, your energy is so strong. It's palpable. And, wow. Uh, that's very kind. No, and I was thinking, I was like, wow, 
I can't wait to visit San Diego so I can meet Michael <laughs> and sit down oh, by a cup of coffee. You got friends here, Michael. You got to keep I, I listen, let's, let's make a date. Let's make a yes. date. I'd love to. Yes. <laughs> when I should have been listening, I was thinking, wow. I hope I can visit San Diego. <laughs> you so I can here. hang out with Michael. <laughs> oh, and Lois. You, you, any, any, anytime. Anytime, Michael. Right. <laughs> well, again, you know, you're welcome back here anytime, Michael. Anytime. I'm Thank so glad so that our, our paths have crossed. Uh, you're an incredible poet. You're an incredible man. You're an incredible man. Oh, gosh. I, I, I know that. I, I can tell that. Well... I appreciate that support. You know, Michael, I, I listen to the show. I see <laughs> your, your your intensity. You, you, I see it. I feel it. The authenticity, your joy, and your intellect, and your spirit. And let me tell you something. I had to be on your show. I wanted so badly <laughs> to be on your show. And, 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 and I feel very grateful to you. You're really you're very, very gifted at what you do. Well, I, and I feel so bad that I flew <laughs> The name of the book. <laughs> oh so no! Fun. Come on, please forgive me. It's, oh, let me tell you. <laughs> no, 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 no. You know, on some level, on some level, it is. It is supposed to be that way. It is very long. In fact, you know, when we did the book, when we did the book, I said, you know what? My brother, who's very bright. He says to me when he doesn't uh, can't when he can't pronounce the word he says it louder. That's why I made I really wanted the book title to be so large, and that's what Tim <laughs> did. I mean, it's hard to say this. Are you kidding me? He says this stuff. Uh, uh, I try uh, to be so professional. <laughs> no, no, you're, but you, you know, know what? You're way beyond professional. You're real. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Thank you. <laughs> Michael, you take care. I wish you nothing but the best, friend. man. You're one of my new favorite people. And uh, Oh, my gosh. What a delight. Wow. <laughs> Back at you. Back at you, Michael. All right. We'll Thank touch. you, my friend. All Thank right. you. All right, Bye everyone. <laughs> Thank, to every Thank everybody for tuning in. And as I share with you every time I'm on the air, let poetry ring. Somewhere throughout the land. Good night, everybody. Until next time, be good. Quintessential Listening Poetry Online Radio is available on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. You can also check out the website at qlpor.com. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.